Grammar Girl here. I'm Mignon Fogarty, and I have a special treat this week. I often talk about the new words that dictionaries add, but recently Dictionary.com decided to add the definitions for emoji to their site after seeing that people were searching to find out what different emoji mean, that people are searching for things like tears of joy emoji meaning. And instead of me telling you about it, I have the lexicographer from Dictionary.com, Jane Solomon, to tell you about it in her own words. And at the end, I have a quick and dirty tip about the word awe. But first, I have a couple of odds and ends to catch up on from the last few weeks. Eric Deckers, a humor writer and occasional Grammar Girl contributor, told me that there's been an update about the demonym Hoosiers. Last week, I said that the United States Government Publishing Office calls people of Indiana Indianans, but that the state of Indiana says the official name for residents is Hoosiers. But Eric, a proud Hoosier, said that in January of 2017, two Indiana senators asked the publishing office to designate that people from Indiana should be called Hoosiers, and the U.S. Government Publishing Office agreed to do it. So now they are Hoosiers everywhere. I'm sorry for the error, and that's really another example of how demonyms are tricky because they can change. Etymology Online says the origin of the name Hoosier is unknown. There are some made-up stories that don't seem especially credible, but we do know that the name was first used in print in the 1830s, and it seems to have originated among Ohio River boatmen, maybe from a word that described anything unusually large. And a few weeks ago, I talked about new words that were added to the Oxford English Dictionary. And as I was talking about how words get in the dictionary, I mentioned the campaign by a Canadian boy named Levi Budd to get the word levodrome into use so it can get into the dictionary. He made up the name to describe a series of letters that spell one word forward and a different word backward, such as maps forward and spam backward. Well, Charles Harrington Elster, the author of the book Word Workout, wrote in to say, quote, Levodrome is not the first attempt, and if I may say, not the best attempt, at coming up with a word for the God, Dog, Aiden, Nadia, etc. phenomenon. For more than 20 years, recreational linguists have been using Samordnalap, which is palindromes spelled backward, to denote this. It's not in the OED or any other dictionary, but it's well-established among those who revel in letter play, unquote. So there you go. We now have competition for which word best describes these interesting forward and backward sets of words. Apparently the long-established Simordnalap and the plucky PR-driven upstart Levodrome. And now, here's my interview with Dictionary.com lexicographer Jane Solomon. So I'm here with Jane Solomon, the esteemed lexicographer from Dictionary.com. Hi, Jane. Hi. Thanks for agreeing to talk with me today. We don't normally do um, interviews on the Grammar Girl podcast, but the the idea that Dictionary.com has added emoji to the dictionary is such an interesting idea that I thought it would be great to hear from you yourself, sort of how that came about. Well, one thing as lexicographers that we think about when we're adding words um, or information about um, items like this to to a dictionary is do people actually want to look it up? <laughs> because it takes, a, it takes a lot of work and effort and research to, to write one definition, uh, to write any kind of content. 
involving this kind of this kind of lexical research. So if we put the work in, we want to make sure that it's something that people are interested in. And we felt that there was really a gap in resources uh, in terms of getting really, really specific um, linguistic information about emoji. So it made a lot of sense to us to, to add it, uh, to add some of this information to dictionary.com. Right. I, I actually often do find myself looking at the panel of emoji and wondering, do I really know what this particular one means if I'm going to use it? Um, were, you, were you getting questions from people or were you finding that people were already trying to search for them on dictionary.com? We were finding that generally people were trying to search for uh, for emoji uh, on dictionary.com, not on dictionary.com. And so this this was something that we thought, okay, let's let's test this out. We don't have a ton of emoji. We certainly don't um, define every single emoji that exists, but we decided to, it, it was more of an experiment to start off with some emoji that have some, some interesting, maybe not so obvious meanings that we want to see, are people actually going to be looking these up? Are people actually going to be using dictionary.com as a resource for this kind of material? And how did you choose the emoji that you decided to include? It was based on some information we had gathered on search engine optimization, SEO, and also based on uh, my own personal interest in certain emoji. Uh, I, I'm a member of the Unicode Emoji Subcommittee, and I have come across a lot of really, really interesting emoji, and uh, that when I learn what they actually are being used for um, and what the meanings actually have grown to be, I find it really, really interesting and thought that those would be good places to start. And I was wondering, how do you even research, you know, as a lexicographer, how do you even research what an emoji means? I mean, when you are looking at words, I know you look at them in context and, and all that, but like, it seems as if it would be harder for an emoji. Um, well, you you start with the same kind of research. You're looking for how are people using this in context. Uh, so, for example, um, one one of the emoji that when I first learned this context for it, I was I was really excited about it was the goat emoji. So the initialism goat G O A T stands for greatest of all time. And when I learned that, I wondered, oh, are people using the goat emoji in this way? And they actually were. And this is this is often um, you'll see it used with a celebrity, um, you know, maybe a musician or uh, an athlete. I've seen it used with Barack Obama. So the, these are, you know, I had this hunch. Oh, I wonder if people are actually using it in this way. And then they were. So if you see like Beyonce and then a goat emoji, it's not someone calling her a goat. It's someone saying she's the greatest of all time. Yeah, and, and and oftentimes people will use the goat emoji in addition to having the letters G-O-A-T spelled out, usually capitalized, um, sometimes with periods in between. So that can give you a hint at, like, this is the meaning that they're getting at. Um, with Beyonce, often the emoji that you'll see coupled with her is the B, um, and that that's sort of like people, fans of Beyonce, call her Bay. Uh the fans are actually called the bay hive. That sounds like B, so you get the B, and also the lemon because of her um, her album Lemonade. 
So how do people how do people go about finding emoji on your site? Well, right now the emoji on our site live in on, on our editorial home. Uh, it is not it's not in the same place as our straight up traditional dictionary definitions. The, these are more like supplemental articles that give you um, some a lot of information, a lot of context, not just like a one sentence definition. Because we felt that with emoji, we wanted to 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 give a little bit more information than with just defining a word. How we just define a word, right? And they seem a little bit more like slang to me. So I imagine you know words obviously change their meaning over time, but I imagine that emoji may change their meaning even faster. Um, is, is that something that you've already seen or that you're worried about in the future for keeping up with it? So you said that emoji seem like slang to you, and I think you're definitely onto something there. Emoji are used in a more casual register than, um, than some more formal words in, in English or some more formal items in English. Um, so, so yeah, the, their meanings are in flux and this means that we are keeping an eye on it and, and meanings develop all the time. And that can be based on, um, individuals or, uh, who have a, a wide following who start using emoji in a certain way. And then a lot of people start using emoji in that way. Um, this could be whenever the Unicode consortium releases new emoji, uh, that can change how emoji uh, are being used. Um, whenever platforms redesign existing emoji, that can change how people are using the emoji. Um, an example of this is like the gun emoji. When, when Apple changed their design from something that looked more like a realistic gun to a squirt gun, that, that could very well have an impact on how people view this emoji and how people, as a result, use the emoji. Oh, that's fascinating. That's a really good point. So, so I view, I view, this is a bold statement, but I, I view any really, really successful emoji dictionary as a sort of historical dictionary. You have to understand the context of what this emoji has looked like over time, what other emoji have existed um, that could have similar meanings. Um, when, did, when did those emoji come out? So for example, you have the face uh, with tears of joy emoji. And this is by far the most popular emoji. It could be because of its placement on the emoji keyboards, but it's also just a very useful emoji that, that can mean a lot of different things. It can evoke sarcasm or joy. Um, and, and, and the, those are two really, really universal moods, but because this emoji is so popular, um, there've been other emojis that have gotten through, you know, the Unicode, um, emoji subcommittee review that also express sarcasm and are really effective in that. Another, an example of this is the upside down smiley face or, or maybe the, my, uh, the face with no mouth um, mm. face. Um, so, so I've never used are, that one. What does it mean? <laughs> oh, so the the eyes with no mouth. Yeah. Face. Um, that's probably not the official name, but um, <laughs> you you can you can look up the official name for that one. Um, okay. So that one can be used as a response when you are speechless. Oh, that makes sense. No mouth. Or, or when you are, um, you want to respond in a way where it can almost have a similar meaning to like the face with like a straight line as the mouth. Mm -hmm. 
just sort of like wide eyes, but your mouth is completely closed. Mm -hmm. And so any kind of situation where you would have that facial expression, people are using that emoji. Okay. One thing I just noticed, you and I both use emoji as the plural, but I've heard people use emojis. Do you have a, a stance on that? Both are completely fine. This is my personal preference, but I, I sometimes switch between them. <laughs> okay, great. Cool. So don't hold me to it. <laughs> okay. Hey, it's Mignon. If you want to do more to hone your communication skills, then check out Think Fast, Talk Smart, produced by the Stanford Graduate School of Business and hosted by my friend and Stanford lecturer, Matt Abrahams. You may remember Matt from his interview on the show back in September when he shared his top tips for becoming a better writer and speaker. Think Fast, Talk Smart is his Webby award-winning podcast, which has been downloaded 41 million times and has been the number one career podcast in more than 95 countries, so you know it's worth your time. Whether you're making a wedding toast or presenting at work, strong speaking skills are critical to success in business and in life, which is why Matt sits down with experts every week to talk about the best tips to unlock your communication potential. Hear from pros like neuroscientist Andrew Huberman on how to manage speaking anxiety, speechwriter and best-selling author Dan Pink on how to take risks in your communication, and psychologist Kelly McGonigal on how to harness nervous energy to fuel powerful presentations. So what are you waiting for? Listen to Think Fast, Talk Smart every Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube. And tell Matt I said hi. Hey, it's Mignon. Do you need a new literary show to add to your podcast queue? Well, then you definitely want to check out Missing Pages, the chart-topping and Signal Award-winning podcast produced by the Podglomerate. Back for a brand new season, Missing Pages investigates the most pressing topics in the book world today, from the rise of Colleen Hoover and book bans across America to the world of ghostwriting. Not to mention host and acclaimed literary critic Beth Ann Patrick interviews some of the biggest names in the industry, like New York Times bestselling author Jody Pico and Publishers Weekly co-editorial director Jim Milliot. And as The Washington Post and The Guardian said, Missing Pages is a, quote, must listen. And I agree. So don't miss out. Follow Missing Pages today on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening now. And um, how about to finish up, let's, what, can you tell me about some more emoji whose meanings, you know, might surprise me or that people may not know, but that, that are included in your set? Let's see. Well, have you, are you familiar with the, um, the emoji that's like painting nails? Yeah, I, I, it feels dishy to me, sort of like we're talking about, you know, you just heard some bad gossip or something or some juicy gossip. Yeah, it's used, it's definitely used in that way. It's also used more literally as like, I'm painting my nails or I'm, you know, I'm putting on makeup or getting my hair done, like that kind of um, more literal meaning. But yeah, it's used in this very sassy way. It's used sometimes to throw shade or to um, show disrespect towards someone in a sort of sassy way. So that one, that one you see a lot used in, in that kind of way. You said gossip. Gossip is another mm-hmm. place where that emoji might pop up. Neat. How about one or two more? The fire emoji is pretty interesting. 
Um, that one can be used really literally as actual fire, but it can also be used. Um, have you heard the, the expression lit? Yeah. So it can be used to mean lit. Um, it could be people as often in, use it. As in like this party is lit, right? Exactly. People are using it in that exact context. Um, they, they might replace the word fire or, and, and you can also say this party is fire. Um, I say you in general, I actually have never said that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but so, so sometimes people are replacing the word fire or lit one for one with the fire emoji. Um, and sometimes they'll be talking about something, uh, you know, the word fire or lit and then have the fire emoji, you know, appear next to those words. So sometimes it, it replaces it and sometimes it, it sits beside it as supplemental information. So I know some people might think that emoji are silly, but, you know, I've heard you um, talk in other places and say that you know, there's some really interesting linguistic things going on here. So can you, can you talk about that for, for my listeners? Yeah, of course. I will, I will give you a, um, a child-friendly <laughs> example. <laughs> so let's say you text someone, what's for dinner? And, or what do you want for dinner? Mm -hmm. And they text back a pizza emoji. That's a kind of one-for-one -one replacement with the pizza. They want to eat pizza for dinner. Mm -hmm. That's great. Um, if you text them the same question and they send you three pizzas, then that shows emphasis. Um, that's the emphatic pizza. They really, really, really want pizza. They want, oh. they don't just want, you know, it's, it's more than just a little bit. They really want it. We must have pizza. <laughs> and <laughs> we I do, must have pizza. And I do that with hearts. I will send someone five hearts instead of just one heart. Yeah. Because you, it's more than just one heart. You want to show like emphatic heart use. I really, really love this. This yeah. is great. That makes sense. So this is, this is really something very sophisticated, uh, that's going on just by using repetition. Okay. And what about context? You know, words mean different things in different contexts. How about emoji? So here, here's a fun example. Um, when I was at the Linguistic Society of America, I was hanging out with, um, Lauren Gunn and Gretchen McCulloch, and they think a lot about emoji and gesture and gesture in general, um, especially Lauren. And so I just came up with an on the spot emoji gesture test, which was me using the finger pointing emoji and then an object and then asking them, is this finger pointing at something or poking something? Oh. So for example, if you have the finger emoji and then you have a peach emoji, which can mean, but, oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> that, that is, can be seen as a finger poking at a, a, a peach, you know, and <laughs> if you have another object, like let's go back to pizza, mm -hmm. that might be pointing at the pizza. So this is one really basic emoji. You might not think much about what it means, but then it's the context around it that determines how people view it and what meaning it takes on. Right. So the same emoji, it could be pointing, it could be poking. I know I see people on, on Twitter too, use the down pointing finger emoji when they retweet something sort of, sort of like saying, look at this below. Yeah. And, and another way that people express that is by using the word sometimes in all caps, this to say, look at this. 
everyone pay attention to this. Another way that people express this with emoji, but in a little more of a side eye way is the, the eyes emoji, because especially on Twitter, um, they're looking down into the side. So it sort of looks like an eye roll. Um, <laughs> and, and sometimes people use the face with no mouth emoji to, to do this, to give the same kind of spe- uh, skeptical commentary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like technology has really increased people's use of emoji. When um when phones, you know, a long time ago when it used to be hard to type letters and numbers, I felt like that was why people tended to use text messaging abbreviations because they were trying to save so much work on the typing. Mm-hmm. And now it's so much easier to choose an emoji. You know, you have the keyboards that let you just tap and and easily pick um, an, an emoji to include in your message. And I actually get frustrated when I'm tweeting from my computer or posting to Instagram and I don't have access to that keyboard that gives me the emoji. Yeah, definitely. The, the tools that we use influence how we use emoji. Mm-hmm. And that's why the, the choices made by the Unicode consortium matter too. Do you want to talk a little bit about your work there? Uh, sure. So, one one really interesting th- way to frame this, because I do have a lexicography background, is looking at how new words get added to a dictionary versus how new emoji get added to all our devices by the Unicode Consortium. Mm-hmm. So in some ways, the process of getting a word in a dictionary can be seen as the opposite of the process of getting a new emoji approved. In modern lexicography, we see how a term is actually being used, and this informs whether or not we want to add it to our dictionary and how we define it. Um, And lexicographers are not gatekeepers. Um, It's really all about observation and then taking in that information and writing definitions from that. But when you look at the Unicode Consortium, on the other hand, they are very much gatekeepers. There's a limited amount of emoji that get approved every year. And you have to think about anticipated usage as opposed to actual usage, which is what lexicographers think about. So in terms of anticipated usage, you ask yourself questions like, is there evidence of interest in this emoji? Is it frequently requested? Is it polysemous? Um, Is it already representable? And that last question of, is it already representable is something that a lexicographer would never ask about a word. We're not going to add the term lit, um, (laughs) as in this party is lit, because we have other ways to talk about how wonderful a party is, Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) not how we operate. So there's some differences there. And it's really interesting for me to be part of both of these processes. Oh, that is interesting. What does polysemous mean? Oh, polysemous means has many meanings. Oh, okay. So would you, would you be, would then the consortium be reluctant to add an emoji that, ha- because it has too many meanings or? Actually, the Unicode consortium is, and the Unicode emoji subcommittee, we're interested in seeing emoji that can be used in many, many different ways. So for example, I, I co-authored a proposal for the bone emoji. And this can be used in a lot of different ways. And that's part of the reason why it got through the process. So it can be used in medical contexts to refer to actual bones. It can be used to refer to dogs. It could be used in, in also sexual contexts. Mm-hmm. So th- this shows evidence for like, there, there are a lot of different ways that people might actually 
use this emoji. And that's something that the Unicode Consortium looks for. So they want it to be widely useful. <laughs> sure. Are, do you know of any documented instances where there have been com confusion based on emoji use and people misunderstanding what they mean? And, you know, there's the classic story where LOL means laugh out loud, but sometimes people think it means lots of love and then use it in inappropriate situations, like when someone has died. So is, <laughs> is, is there anything like, are there any stories like that about emoji? Sure. I don't know. I don't know if there are any great stories for your audience. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We can I, would, I would say that there's definitely some emoji that have sexual connotations that people use not realizing that. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that can be really, really funny <laughs> to some people. <laughs> okay. Great. Well, thanks again for, for being here today. It's been a really interesting conversation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Love talking. Uh, where can people find you online? Let's see. You can find me on Twitter at Jane Solomon. Uh, and I also have a blog about words and emoji called lexicalitems.com. Super great. Thanks for, thanks for taking the time to talk to me today. I really appreciate it. Oh yeah. There, I have no problem with this because I, I do think that a lot of your, your listeners um, or a lot of people in general and, uh, might think of emoji as like silly or, or not sophisticated, but, but there's really a sophisticated linguistic system around pe how people are using emoji. And this is something that we take very seriously as people who study language. So I'm really, really glad to share this with you. Wonderful. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thanks again to Jane. And now the next time you do a Google search for upside down face emoji, notice the search results from dictionary.com fighting for placement with Wikipedia, Slate, and a lot of other big sites. Thanks also this week to Joe from Germany, who wrote in after the segment a few weeks ago about how dog breeds got their names. Joe wrote, quote, I've been listening to your podcast for a very long time, and I usually do so on my commute from the Black Forest to the Swabian Jura. That's a mountain range in Germany. Rottweil is not far from where I live, and I was delighted to hear it mentioned on your podcast. It's a beautiful town, and you can find several Rottweiler statues all over the place. The English Wikipedia article for Rottweil has a photo of the statue located in the pedestrian zone, but there are lots more. Unquote. How fun. I'll have to add visiting Rottweil to see the statues to my bucket list. And thanks to Tony, who listens on Old St. Stephen's Road near Monticello, Mississippi, and to Novice Tabata, who left a nice review on Apple Podcasts, saying, quote, I use it as a resource for the writing advice I give my children. My elementary student is learning geography and asked what you call someone from Wyoming and why it's so hard to know what to call people, and sure enough, Grammar Girl had tackled this topic, unquote. And finally, thanks to Tad from Hawaii, who noted that I mentioned people saying aww about babies in last week's podcast and wanted me to remind people that the kind of awe that is an interjection you say when something is cute is spelled A-W, and the type of grand awe you feel when you're overwhelmed by some massive natural wonder is spelled A-W-E. I see people mix them up all the time too, Tad, so there you go. That's your quick and dirty tip for the week. The noise you make when confronted with cuteness is spelled A-W, and the word for an emotion filled with veneration, dread, and wonder is spelled A-W-E. And I was a bit surprised to find that all the definitions of awe, A-W-E, include that part about dread. 
And the root words all go back to words for fear and fright and terror, anguish and pain. People certainly use it for more mundane and less frightening things today. For example, I might say I'm in awe when a singer nails that particularly difficult high note in the national anthem, but there wouldn't be any sense that I'm afraid of her. Sometimes I talk about well-used words, when people use a word in a way that's especially referential to the word's root. For example, when someone uses the word canard in combination with a story about a duck, because the word canard comes from an old French hoax about selling half a duck. Or when nuns talk about being maudlin, because the word maudlin comes from the idea of Mary Magdalene being weepy. So it turns out the word awe would be particularly well used when you use it to describe something that is not only wondrous, but also fills you with fear or dread. That's all. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Mignon. If you want to do more to hone your communication skills, then check out Think Fast, Talk Smart, produced by the Stanford Graduate School of Business and hosted by my friend and Stanford lecturer, Matt Abrahams. You may remember Matt from his interview on the show back in September when he shared his top tips for becoming a better writer and speaker. Think Fast, Talk Smart is his Webby award-winning podcast, which has been downloaded 41 million times and has been the number one career podcast in more than 95 countries, so you know it's worth your time. Whether you're making a wedding toast or presenting at work, strong speaking skills are critical to success in business and in life, which is why Matt sits down with experts every week to talk about the best tips to unlock your communication potential. Hear from pros like neuroscientist Andrew Huberman on how to manage speaking anxiety, speechwriter and best-selling author Dan Pink on how to take risks in your communication, and psychologist Kelly McGonigal on how to harness nervous energy to fuel powerful presentations. So what are you waiting for? Listen to Think Fast, Talk Smart every Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube. And tell Matt I said hi.